Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week, your hosts are Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft. For this show, we'd like to welcome professional sports photographer Darren Carroll to the podcast. Darren is a very accomplished Sports Illustrated photographer who's shooting 100% mirrorless cameras nowadays, specifically the Sony brand. So if you are interested in this camera revolution of what's happening right now, of so many people switching from DSLRs to mirrorless systems, you'll want to hear what Darren has to say based on his experience and what he's shooting nowadays. And he just came back from a conference in New York City with some of the most recent specifications for the Sony systems that he's going to share with us. Welcome, Darren, to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Darren, you and I have worked together quite a bit. I was trying to think of when we actually, the, the first time we worked together, it's probably four or five years ago, right? At least, yeah. Yeah. And at that time, you were a Canon shooter. You've since switched over 100% to mirrorless. So, I thought it'd be super interesting to get you on and talk to you a little bit about that transition, what you like about it everything that kind of involves the mirrorless system. But before that, just so people have an idea, because we're predominantly wildlife shooters, but then I, I do, I straddle the line. I do both, right? Mm-hmm. You are 100%. Or I wouldn't say 100%. You are more into the sports photography and Correct. then a lot of other stuff. You know, a lot of portraiture and I don't even know. So could you just give us a snapshot <laughs> into your background of what, you know? Sure. Um, I love to tell people I've never had a real job in my life. I started freelancing as a photographer and an assistant right after college about 25 years ago and spent about good 10 years or so as what Sports Illustrated called a lighting technician, which is a fancy word for an assistant. Uh, I was one of the guys that went all around the country and hung strobes and arenas for basketball and hockey and all of that stuff. And in between that time, the editors at Sports Illustrated would start giving me small front of the book assignments for portraits or features or, you know, just a random soccer or college football game that was just going to get an eighth of a page picture or something like that. Uh, and from that, I basically transitioned to being a contributing photographer for them for about 10 years. And also, since I was freelancing, uh, I could go other places, worked for Golf Digest and their weekly magazine called Golf World for a good 10, 15 years. And with the demise of print media, as you know, we all know, these magazines aren't hiring anymore, uh, the ones that are left at least. A lot of my work now is for the, I would, you can't really call them leagues, but the controlling organizations of various sports like golf and tennis. I work a lot for the U.S. Golf Association, the PGA Tour, PGA of America, and the United States Tennis Association. And I still do the occasional portrait magazine assignment here and there. Uh, but most of it has been taking the experience of 15, 20 years in the editorial world and translating that into commercial work now in sports. Awesome. So you also do some personal work too. Cause I, uh, anybody that follows your Instagram page, will see a little bit of that. You also have your whole barbecue line. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of crosses over into the personal work. I mean, I love doing documentary photography. It's one of my favorite things to do personally. Again, 
there used to be a lot of that in the editorial world, but there isn't anymore. So you really have to go out and find your own little niche and find what you enjoy shooting. Uh, and for me, documenting the way people do things, uh, especially when they do things the good old fashioned way is, uh, a really good way to spend my time off the golf course or off the tennis court or, you know, not thinking about where my next assignment is coming from or something like that. So I have done personal projects on rodeos and things like that. But one of the things that I love is barbecue, having lived in central Texas now for 25 years. And we have some fantastic old school places, you know, where it's just logs and smoke and bricks and no thermometers or anything like that. These guys just go at it. And uh, it's a tradition that's been handed down, you know, generationally. And uh, it's just really fun to explore. And it's got some great people in it too. So, And that's yeah. kind of like an ongoing project, right? You're, yes. You haven't really, I mean, is it ultimately going to end up as something or are you just yeah. doing it as a portfolio kind of thing? It's weird because every time I think maybe – I'd love to do a book about this. Somebody does a book about it. You know, I'm like, well, okay, so can't do that anymore. So I'm just going to keep plugging away and enjoying the food and enjoying the people and welcoming the fact that they will let me into their lives for a little while and show me how they do things. That's, that's what I get the most pleasure out of anyway, not, you know, the end goal of having a book or anything like that. Right. Sounds like it's about the experience. It is. Absolutely. The vibe. Being it, in, it is in all space. about... It's all about the experience, about taking it all in and trying to convey that visually to people who don't have the opportunity to get that experience. So, yeah, I just wish that there was a smell file you could put on <laughs> some of these pictures. That's, so the next the next generation of cameras, I mean, we're going to hear about the Sony mirrorless stuff from you today, but the next generation is scratch and sniff images. Is I, that, 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 that could, do it. That could yeah. do it. Yeah. Let's talk to the engineers about that. Enhance the, the 4D <laughs> capabilities of the camera. Right. Right. right on. Augmented reality. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it was, what, two or three years ago. Yeah. So Darren and I shoot this particular assignment we've shot it together a lot and he's the main photographer. I come in as a secondary photographer and kind of fill in this, the blanks here and there. And for years we were, we would show up and he'd have his old 4028 version <laughs> one. It looked like it'd been through the war. The glass was pristine, but the outside you knew that this was a, a lens that was being used. Right. And you know, so many times we all get wrapped up in this, Oh, I got to go get the new version three, blah, 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 whatever it is. And you talk with Darren, he's like, this lens is sharp. I don't know why I need anything else. Right. And then fast forward a couple of years. I don't know. I'm guessing on these dates or times two or three years later, he shows up and he's got a little Sony and I'm like, Whoa, you know, how did, how did, how did that transition go? And then that you've been shooting Sony now for what, two or three years. Uh, two years, two and a half years. I've been shooting Sony for two and a half years now, non-exclusively. And then exclusively for a year. Yeah. A year is when I, a year ago, what October. Yeah. So it's been a year since they came out with the 4028. And that is when I made the decision to just take everything out of my equipment closet, walk it down to my local camera shop and trade, trade it in. And that was, that was it. So for the sake of our audience, I mean, yes. the evolution of photography over the past couple of decades, digital was the big, the big wave, the big tsunami. 
Correct. That we all had to get on board at, at different times, obviously, and the gear had to catch up. And I don't think this is as big as tsunami, if you will, but switching this whole mirrorless evolution is just taking everything by storm right now. And the capabilities are so impressive and, and vast that this is going to be very interesting, I think, for our audience to hear your take on it and why you made such a clear switch and then what's mm -hmm. happening nowadays with Sony mirrorless. I mean, it's just talk of the town everywhere. There are all these other brands, but it seems like I hear Sony, Sony, Sony more than anything else currently for mirrorless. Mm -hmm. Well, now, just to, to be clear, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, has blogs and websites about all the different camera manufacturers, and I don't stay on top of the latest release and test out every single new DL DSLR or mirrorless or anything that comes out. I do know a lot about what I use, uh, you that's know, all. the reason yeah, why I use I, it. So, the Sony um, specifically. Yes. I was yeah. wasn't thinking it'd be a broad comparison, but yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just something to hear sure. a professional of your caliber why you made the switch like Michael was alluding to and okay. where it's going as far sure. as the capabilities sure. of these cameras. What What's the huge benefits of them? And I mean, right. I, I'm on the fence. I've been, we've been teased by this new technology for quite some time now, and it continues to evolve. Personally, with the Nikon setup I have, I have more and more friends switching. I keep getting texts and emails saying, when are you selling your gear? But I'm happy with the results that I get with the 850 and the 2 to 5 that I shoot mm -hmm. for the wildlife nature photography. But I am hearing from other pros or serious photographers who are shooting mirrorless more and more benefits all the time. So that I keep watching with anticipation, like the next generation could be the mm -hmm. ticket. And right. I'm just really excited to hear the history, as as Mike mentioned, why you mm -hmm. made this and, and and what you know about what's happening with Sony. Okay. Because, yeah. Yeah, okay, what, so the, what prompted that very first, like, hey, I'm going to try this Sony out? So the, the very first thing that prompted it was I had a bunch of old Leica lenses. I mean, you want to talk about pristine glass, you know, 75-1.4, 51.4, 4, all this stuff that when Leica came out with their M series, uh, their M, M240, which is the digital rangefinder. I got one, but it was really hard to focus a lot of these old 1970s era lenses on them because they weren't calibrated for the sensor, for the uh, perfectly flat sensor of a digital camera. You know, there was always the, the reasoning I heard about it, and this may or may not be true, I don't know, is that they always left a little bit of play in the focus because the film plane wasn't completely flat. But once you got these things on a digital sensor, which was completely flat, there was very little room for error, and they had a really hard time coupling the rangefinder to be that precise if you wanted to shoot at one four or two, you know, wide open like that, which is the whole reason why I wanted those lenses in the first place. So then somebody told me that you could buy this Sony Alpha 7 R2 which had a bigger sensor, a better sensor, and, and you could buy an adapter for Leica lenses on it. And I went and tried it out, and lo and behold, it was like a new lease on life for all of these things. And I started shooting all of my portraits with it again, uh, or with, with those lenses again, because now I had a camera that I could reliably focus these lenses with. Um, and when that happened, I discovered that the quality of the images was just amazing to begin with. 
That Alpha 7 R2 was a great camera, but it certainly was not a sports camera, and the autofocus capabilities weren't there. This is good three, four years ago, so it's just, you know ages ago in terms of <laughs> technology. But then I started hearing rumors that they were coming out with a sports camera, and then they came out with the Alpha 9. Just like you could adapt Leica lenses to it, there was an adapter for Canon EF lenses, which was a godsend to me because I had, you know, $25,000, dollars $40,000 invested in Canon glass. I had that old 400-2.8, which I maintained until I got rid of it, was the sharpest piece of glass I had ever owned. It was so old, it had been stripped and repainted three times, as Mike can attest to having seen it, and it weighed about 25 pounds. I mean, this thing, I shoot golf. I walk golf courses with this thing, and people wondered how the heck I could do it. I still don't know how I did it looking back on it. But what sold me at first on Sony was that you could now have this camera that for a golf photographer could shoot completely silently at 20 frames a second, which I don't usually use, but it's possible, and give you images that were as good as, if not better quality than the Canon 1DX that I was using. And I could keep my lenses. I didn't have to just sell all my Canon glass and buy Sony glass. So I did that for a year or so. And I gradually started moving over to the Sony lenses. And then once they came out with that 400-2.8 last October, it was just completely all in. And that's been, you know, you talk about a revolution, Mark, you talked about a revolution in going from film to digital. I do think that mirrorless is as much of a revolution in terms of revolutionizing the way that we are going to work. It certainly has revolutionized the way that I work out on a golf course in this, much the same way that going digital revolutionized things like workflow and things like that. So, yeah, I think we're... I think you're right to say that that was a huge revolution from film to digital, but I think we are at as equally important a turning point right now with mirrorless. Some something you mentioned was the silent. Now, I, yes. I, now it's important. Something I'm learning more and more from wildlife photographers who have made the switch mm-hmm. is that the animals. I mean, we all depends on how skittish the animals we're working with, sure. of course. But no matter. Whether they're skittish or not, they're still sensitive to noise. And so every time they see something pointed, but they hear, and if there are five photographers, all this stuff going on is a distraction to the scene. Photographers that I know that have used mirrorless for a period of time now, Mm -hmm. for several months, are finding it so refreshing because in the moment that they're filming, there's no sound that's disrupting the situation for the animal or even for them as a distraction. And I would think. I just wanted to play on that just quickly because you mentioned it with golf being silent is important on the fairway because I assume when the golfer's taking that swing, you can't fire away with the correct. Right. The rule is that you're not, and by rule, I mean the rules that were written 20 years ago, back in the days of, you know, the Nikon F3 and the MD4 motor drive that sounded like a gunshot going off every time you took a picture. But the rule is you cannot fire until the player hits the ball. So 
top of the backswing, guys standing around behind another player, laughing it up while he's getting ready to tee off. None of that. And one of the things that we always got, especially on editorial assignments, is something that they would call an on-course portrait, where they would want you to go and shoot tight frames of somebody lining up a putt or a guy just kind of looking off into the distance while somebody else is hitting a shot, you know, with nice light on his face or something like that. Well, with an SLR, you couldn't do that. You know, you would miss so many opportunities. Uh, and I find myself now with the mirrorless walking around out there in a pack of photographers that are using SLRs and I'm making pictures that I know they can't. And I, I don't mean in, in terms of talent, I mean, physically, they cannot make. And so it's a huge advantage for somebody like me to have a mirrorless camera that can shoot silently like that. And so many more candid opportunities. Because Absolutely. Of yeah. I mean, I, I don't have to worry, you know, usually like if you've got the lens on a, a golfer, when somebody else is playing a shot, you're kind of looking over your shoulder to see, is he hit yet? Is it okay for me to do this? Can I, and you're nervous, you're on eggshells with this. You don't worry about it. It's you shoot the pictures that you want to shoot when you want to shoot them. And nobody is any the wiser. And I don't mean that to say like, I'm trying to fool somebody, but nobody cares because you're not bothering anybody. And that's the important thing. You know, um, a golfer doesn't care if you take a picture at the top of his backswing. What he cares about is if he can hear you take that picture at the top of his backswing. There's some horror nobody, stories about Tiger Woods, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> and, and rightfully so. I am, you know, this is their livelihood and these guys are out there trying to concentrate. Everybody's quiet and all of a sudden right up at the top of the backswing, boom, 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 you know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> you just can't do it. Now, this is another thing I, I think I should touch on though, too. It is possible to make a picture like that, let's say with a, uh, with a Canon 1DX, that single frame, top of the backswing, silent, no click of the shutter. You can do it by setting the camera to live view and setting the motor drive to single silent so that when you hold the button down, the shutter doesn't advance until after you let go. Problem with that is you only get one frame. Problem with that is if you're out in bright sunlight, you have to look at the back of the LED screen to try to frame and focus. And good luck doing that with a 70 to 200 or a 400 to 8 or something like that. So while you can do it, the compromises that you have to make in order to even try that are just when... In, in comparison to using a mirrorless where you just walk up and use the same camera with the same lens and same setup that you normally wouldn't take the picture. There's, there's no compromise involved in any of it. You can do it with a Nikon by putting a Jacobson sound blimp, you know, like they use on movie sets over your camera. But the thing weighs a ton. It's bulky. And once you walk out two miles out onto the golf course, you're stuck with that thing for the rest of the day. And you have to put the lens in a tube. You have to uh, try to figure out a whole new way to autofocus the camera. It, it's it's just not an ideal situation. So you can do it with all of these cameras. It's not to say that the only way you can take a picture, for example, just to use that example again, at the top of somebody's backswing on a golf course, is to use a mirrorless. But it's the only way that you can use 
the exact same setup that you use for every other picture on that golf course. Walk around with the same equipment, not bring anything extra, not change your workflow, not do anything else, and still make that picture. And I think to me, that's really been the biggest benefit. So I have a couple of these Sonys. I've been playing around with them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have set it to silent. But I think I read somewhere where it's actually faster when it's not on silent. Is that true? You would know more about this than me. I don't believe that's true on okay. the Alpha 9. It might be true on the uh, 7R4 and 7R3, but I don't believe that's true on the 9. Okay, so you predominantly, are, once you're, you just leave it on silent all the time, I assume. It's funny. I will usually leave it off silent when I'm on full frame, 20 frames a second, because if I don't, I, I have no way of catching myself and knowing how much I'm shooting. <laughs> I mean, you hold that button down for four seconds and you've just shot 80 frames of 25 megabyte raw files uh, and your card's done. <laughs> <laughs> so if only to sort of preserve my sanity and sort of let myself know how much or how little I'm shooting, I will leave it. I will leave the sound on if I can. You know, I do, when I do tennis, I leave it on all the time just because that way I know audibly as well as visually when I'm shooting and when I'm not, when I've started and when I've stopped. Because that's so, another sport where it's really easy to just keep your finger on that button and let things go. So it's as much as data management as it is. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, that that's a sense. big part of it. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Ron, you had a question earlier, and I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, Darren. So a lot of the knocks on those mirrorless systems initially was that the focus was just a little bit too slow. Yes. Um, the When you switch to the A9, have you used the 7 Series, either the S or the R? And if so, have they caught up with the focus speed of their sports line with the, the 9 line? I, okay, so I have used the R series, not the S. I've used the R2 and the R3, and I have played with but do not yet own the R4. Um, I would say the R4 is close. It's not, and I think Sony would tell you the same thing. It's not designed to do what the A9 does, um, but I would, would I go shoot a speeding? NASCAR driver coming right at me with the seven R four. No, but would I go shoot an NBA game with it? Basketball? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I guess my, my question for our, our listeners was, you know, sports photography is probably the closest photography genre to what we do. You're going to get the portraits, but you're also going to have the, the fast action and you have to be able to focus for those. Right. So I, I guess that's where, wildlife photographers have to find the balance is that focus speed. And I guess if you can shoot an NBA game, most wildlife situations aren't, aren't going to require much more speed than that. Right. Obviously animals are faster, but they're not NASCAR fast. So (laughs) yeah, Yeah. that's it. And the, the other thing was the, when you were adapting your lenses, did you, now that you have Sony glass, did you find that there was a difference in focus speed when you were adapting versus what you have now with the native glass? Yes, there is. Uh, part of it is just because the, the adapter, using the adapters um, will s- 
slow down uh, drive, motor drive speed. And I'm not sure if the focus speed is slower because of the adapter or just because there was so much glass in that 20-year-old 400-2.8 that had <laughs> to move. Uh, you know, and the the 9 makes something silly like 50 or 60 focus calculations per second, or the 9-2, 60 focus calculations per second. Um, you know, so I don't think any of those older lenses can keep up with it. And for that matter, I'm not sure even the newer lenses from say Nikon or Canon are designed to keep up with something like that. So you're, I think you're limited more by the lens technology than the camera technology. Um, but with the Sony 400, it just, it blew my mind when I first tried that thing out, how fast it was. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure if you put a native Canon lens on a 1DX Mark II, or you put a native Nikon lens on an 850 or a D5 or something like that, you're going to get really lightning fast autofocus. But for me, the change in going from that adapted Canon 400 to uh, the Sony 400, native Sony 400 was just like life changing. It was amazing. One question uh, on those adapters is yeah. did you notice a difference and did you try like I have a Sigma adapter but I know mm -hmm. there's a Metabones and I don't even it, there's probably a few others is there Photo Photo Diox makes one I think is that how you pronounce it and Metabones makes one and Sigma makes one I was always I did try the Metabones and it didn't work as well as the Sigma and I I don't want to talk out of school but I I think I was told something along the lines of Sigma has the license for both ends of the adapter from the manufacturers, as opposed to other companies only getting, say, the Nikon end of it and having to reverse engineer the Sony side of it or vice versa. But the Sigma one, as far as I know, with the Sigma, you it's the only one where you can maintain all of the functions of the camera in terms of you know using all the autofocus points, eye autofocus, uh, tracking autofocus, things like that. So that, that makes sense because they they're licensed to produce lenses for all those mounts or they produce lenses for all those right. mounts also. So right. that does make sense. Yeah. Now you just came back from testing yes. the latest and greatest technology. So is there any discussion? Did you have opportunity to ask Sony if there was any discussion about their, you know, advancement or future advancement in lens technology to keep up with what you were just talking about? We didn't really talk about it. Um, it is designed to work with the current lenses, obviously, so you don't have that degradation. So the, the, basically, the, the lenses that they have now, it's my understanding, were built with this in mind. And so they, they can sort of work up to the camera. It's not going to degrade the performance in any way. But we didn't really talk about what they've got in the pipeline for new lenses or anything like that. So to cue our audience, you were just yes. flown to New York City with Sony to talk about this new and exciting camera that's going to be delivered. And the timing of this podcast is just all about this as well. Okay. Shipping next month, the Alpha 9-2. Two. two. Yeah, Alpha 9-2, correct. Yeah, so they, they had brought me and a couple of other photographers up, and then they have uh, other people you know, from New York City that they invite and influencers and things like that from around the country that they bring in to just have a look at this and play around with it and see what it can do and – you know, Sony's been really good about listening to photographers about what we need and what we want 
in a camera. And, you know, there were things that the, the Alpha 9 could not do that different parts of the industry were clamoring for. You know, the wire services, the news agencies, sports agencies, things like that, who are so used to working with Canon and Nikon workflows uh, are used to things like voice captioning. You know, tag, tagging an image with a voice caption so that when you transmit that image back to your office, the editor knows exactly who's who in the picture. I and mean, these are essential things. And they listened. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, th- this new version comes out and guess what's in it? Voice captioning. They know that Canon the 1DX Mark II has five gigahertz wide transmission capability in it. And so that's what this camera has. I mean, they, you know, everybody would say to them, listen, this is what we need. This is what we're used to working with. This is what we need. And they listened, and all of a sudden we have it. A lot of what I see in the A92 goes towards making digital workflow that much easier. The voice captioning, the higher transmission speeds, USB-C, gigabit Ethernet, things like that, that a lot of us who do things like that, who have a need for things like that, have been asking for, and they gave it to us. Are the other setups of the camera body similar to the A9 then, as far as sensor size and frame rate it, yeah, and the, the, capabilities? The sensor size um, the sensor size, and the sensor are the same. I believe there's a new processor in there. Uh, the autofocus is tweaked to be a little bit faster than the A9, uh, although, I mean, I remembered saying to somebody, how much faster can it get? But yeah, so that's, but then there's a lot of the, the back end and the form factor is different. It's a little bit bigger. So for those of us with long fingers, big hands, things like that, who are used to a bulkier camera body, this will feel better in your hands too. So for the sake of our audience and for wildlife photography in action, and of course being so similar to sport, I was speaking to a colleague a couple of months ago who shoots a different brand of mirrorless camera. I won't okay. say which necessarily. He was criticizing the autofocus speed on these two bodies by this company Mm -hmm. and said to stick with what I'm using for now until autofocus catches Mm -hmm. up. So with with the Sony cameras that you're talking about, no issue whatsoever. None none whatsoever. None whatsoever. And the the firmware 5.0 release for the for the nine that they came out with about six months ago, I think, introduced tracking autofocus, which basically is a step up from their eye autofocus. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but IAF on Sony means not tracking your eye, but tracking your subject's eye. And it was able to just hone in on somebody's eyeball. And, you know, of course, when the eyeball went away, when the face turned to one side or something, then that went away as well. So what they've done is they developed a new tracking autofocus where instead of focusing on an eyeball, it just detects a pattern within what the the bounds of the box, whether it's big, small, medium, whatever you set it to, and it will track that. So if you're wearing a black hat, it can see that as opposed to your eyeball and it will track that hat or that shape or that contrast level or logo or something It'll like stay that. on the wild and yeah. exposed yeah. podcast logo well it would, it would it would probably know that that you were that that logo was part of what it was supposed to track you know okay. in, in addition to but in addition to other things but it will it'll stay on a face now it'll stay on a particular pattern or contrast or something like that 
and follow it all the way through the frame. It's actually amazing to, to watch. And if it does find an eyeball, then it will go to the eyeball. Right so on. it's much, much improved. So on a recent podcast, Ron had mentioned that this is now applicable, that there's some cameras that will track an animal's face or head. So Would, it, would that apply here if you had a they, bear walking past? or Correct. They just introduced uh, in the A7R4 uh, animal IAF. I believe that the firmware six, which I need to install on my alpha nines that they just came out with has, uh, animal IAF and the two does have it. Wow. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that as a, as a wish list. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> my dogs are going to hate me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another thing we just talked about on a previous podcast, actually it'll be, I don't know. It depends on when we release all these podcasts, but we were just talking about how high is too high for ISO. So with your experience with these Sonys and mm-hmm. all the different, I know you shoot so many cool things really early in the morning. I mean, you're just the guy that's got this talent to get these, these images that really just lay out a scene for you. And you do well, a lot you. of them before the sun's up, but it's twilighty. Mm-hmm. So ISO performance on these Sony's, what, how would mm-hmm. you rate that? Or what's your limit or what do you do? There, there is a lot of stuff where I, having been in digital from the days of the, you know, the first Nikon D1, I'm reluctant. I've always been reluctant to go above a thousand ASA. It's just a crazy hang up that I have. And even when I would shoot, you know, night baseball games for sports illustrator on Canon one DXs, I still would only go above 1600 if I, absolutely positively had to so it's sort of ingrained in my head that i never want to go above 2000 but i'll go shoot some music or i'll go to a golf tournament that's running particularly late or uh i'll be shooting tennis at night at the u.s open with a 100 to 400 five six lens and i will take the nines up to 6400 without even batting an eyelash and apparently, the high ISO in the new version in the 9.2 is even better, but I didn't get a, really get a chance to play with that. I will tell you, at the event that I went to last Tuesday, they had a couple of shooting stages set up with athletes like gymnasts and things like that, and they lit it all with either tungsten or LED, you know, airy sky panels or something like that, or a couple of uh, hot lights in each set. And to stop motion, you've got to be shooting at a thousandth of a second. So I would, I took it up to 2000, just didn't notice anything in my files that, you know, if, if you would have asked me what I shot that at and not told me that I was a 2000, I probably would have told you 400, you know, just based on what I used to seeing on my alpha nines. So yeah, there, the high ISO performance is not anything I even give a second thought to with these anymore it's crazy i was just thinking it was funny about what three or four years ago i think on april fool's day canon came out with this announcement that they were they were gonna create this one dw at 22 frames (laughs) a second 22 frames a second it had it would track the eye of your wildlife or the bird in flight and now all this all this has come to fruition and it was a joke three years ago and now all of a sudden, here we are. I, now that you mentioned, I, maybe I re- maybe I remember it somewhere in the deepest yeah, it was, of my brain. But they showed uh, it. It was a white camera body, you know, to go with the white <laughs> lenses. But yeah, 
But yeah, yeah, here we are. It's I mean, yeah. this we have a camera that can quite literally do all of that stuff right now. Um, so it's just amazing. Yeah. All right. So I want to change the subject again. We got ISO okay. out of the way. What about the menu system? Do you did it take you a while to get all oh. that stuff figured out, or you know, are are there some super secret ninja menu strategies or? I, I agree. And it is really daunting at first. Um, the more you use them, the easier it gets. Uh, but I will say this. One of the other things, going back to them listening to us for things we've been clamoring about getting, is in the 9.2, you can now save your settings to a card and pop them into another camera and load the settings which you used to not be able to do. So part of the reason why I became so proficient in the menu system with the Sony's was because whenever I would buy a new camera or get a couple of loaners from Sony pro support, you would have to sit there and reprogram each of them, you know, and I would just get into my hotel room the night before a shoot, open up a beer and just spend an hour going through every menu, making sure each camera was exactly the same. I'd take two side by side. When I finished one, I'd put the other one next to it and I'd take two side by side again, finish that one, slide it over. And that's the way it would work. All the while, you know, I would just sit there wishing. And the next day when I saw one of the pro support guys, I go, could we please, (laughs) (laughs) we really need this. And so they've given us that. Um, One of, I was talking to a pilot friend of mine about the same thing because he does a lot of photography. And I said, it's the difference between flying a Boeing and an Airbus. It's a lot to learn technically, but once you learn all of it, you know how to troubleshoot and problem solve instinctively. But yeah, one is more of a manual intuitive menu, you know, in the Nikon and the Canon. But once you, once you've done it enough on the Sony and once you've gotten used to the technology and how it's all laid out. I don't want to say it's easy, uh, you know, because I certainly understand the concerns, but it's not not a huge problem once you've gotten used to using them. And you can you have the custom menus as well, correct? That you can yes. kind of put everything that you typically use into those custom settings. Right. There's a my menu setting, just like there is on the Canon at the you know the last uh, uh, what would you call it? the last tab in the menu, and you can put. Uh, I think there's room for three sheets. I don't know off the top of my head if that's absolutely, there's at least room for two. Um, I think it's three. So you can pretty much put everything that you need in there. And you know, the, the custom buttons on the camera that you can set to do just about everything as well. There's one, uh, if you hit the function button on the back of the camera, it brings up like two rows of six commands in the viewfinder, you know, Motor drive speed, ISO, uh, white balance, white balance, steady shot, on or off. You know, and, and basically anything that you can program on the menu, you can put your top ten or twelve in there to do uh, just with the push of one button, so you don't have to go searching for it. Does that body have in-body stabilization as well? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. And some of the lenses have optical stabilization. So, and so the need for high ISO in some situations is reduced with that ability to. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, then, then you're, you're starting to worry about the speed of your subject, you know, in relation to your shutter speed. But, you know, if I'm shooting a concert or something like that, I 
don't mind shooting a guy strumming a guitar at a 30th of a second anymore. It's fine because the stabilization's there. And the other thing about the stabilization is it also works on manual lenses. Uh, there's a way to just input the focal length of your lens. So if I'm handholding you know, like a 90 F2 that weighs about three or four pounds and trying to shoot at a 30th of a second with it, you can do that because you can go in and tell it that you've got a 90 millimeter lens on there and it will incorporate steady shot for that focal length. I'm just watching Mark. He's just like, eh. <laughs> well, there's, that, there's that, but I'm also chuckling, wondering what's in the foreground of Darren's picture. <laughs> what's that? Okay, I think we I can see your finger. Your, I think it's your thumb. Oh, sorry. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's like the old days when you used to leave the, your finger over the flash on the point and shoot cameras and you wonder why there was this giant orange blob in the corner. Yeah. So, that's good. why you're going there like, what is it? Well, yeah. You know, so, I, I keep making points about this stuff. And, and, and from our first mirrorless podcast from oh, almost a year ago, it was what you see is what you get. That was yes. like stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. But now animal face tracking up to 6,400 ISO silent mode weight as far less, as far as the gear oh. and tracking it around. There's getting to be too many boxes here that are making this irresistible, such an exciting change. It's, and I mean, there's so much more capability with this stuff. If you, if you think about wildlife photography and, and there's a, a spirit bear coming out of the forest and if it's a shy individual, there's no noise, you know, and right. It, that variable it's just we spend so much traveling we have such anticipation to collect the images we dream about to have a camera system that is silent and might make that difference mm-hmm. becoming more and more appealing with all these factors i mean well let me throw one more at you um oh, i have a, a friend please don't <laughs> does a little bit of wildlife photography as well and he loves to set up remote cameras out in the woods to yes. try and you know, with remote capture and things like that. He sets these things on silent. Animals never know they're there. There you go. They could be standing right in front of one with a wide angle lens and they would never know it was there. Okay. That brings up another knock, you know, on the, on the initial systems of the first early iterations. Uh, How about weather sealing at this point? At this point, it's a non-issue. Um, you know, I always tell people, I don't care if you have a Nikon, a Canon, a Sony, whatever. If you're going out in a rainstorm and you don't have a Gore-Tex cover on your camera and your $13,000 lens, that's your problem. I mean, right. you know, sure. but I've been carrying the the nines around with the 400-2.8 and the 70-200 through light rain, you know, oh shit, I forgot my rain gear back in the media center. I better go run and get it. And it starts raining. And by, you know, by the time I get back, I'm soaked and drenched and it's fine. It's fine. I would not stand out there and shoot in a downpour for 45 minutes with it, sure. but I wouldn't do that with any camera system. Um, yeah. So, all right. Um, so I got another one to go into. I absolutely love my 200 to 400 Canon with the one mm-hmm. four built in. Yes. Obviously, Sony doesn't have that yet, but they got some right. pretty cool things, right? I have the 100 to 400. I've played yep. with the 200 to 600. Yeah. But you don't have that, you know, F4. You're still right. piddling around with yep. 5.6 and 6.3. Yeah. Yep. Do you think they're going to move in that direction? Do you think that they'll they'll round out this whole series of lenses in addition to the 400? It's 400 and 604 right now, right? Right. Right now they have a 400 They have a 604. I really wish... For, that they would come out with a 300 28. That's my my next big lens that I would want on my wish list is a 300 28. I 
I don't know what they're they've got in the pipeline or what they're planning or what their engineers are thinking, but I would have to say that they know they go to enough events and they see enough photographers shooting um, that they know who's shooting with what, you know, and they walk down the sidelines at, or they, they, they look down the photo pit at us open tennis and see everybody who has Canon and Nikon shooting with a 200 to 400. They go to a football game and see the sidelines of 200 to 400 all over the place. I've got to think that they're noticing that and that they know if they want to gain even more market share, they're going to have to make those people happy. Let's put it that way. They're going to have to give those kind of photographers. I don't shoot with a 200 to 400, but I know plenty of people that do. And they're going to have to give them a reason to not say no. Well, but yeah, yeah, that's where so many of us are at at the moment. Right. Right. I have a couple other things, but I don't want to keep monopolizing the conversation. Do you guys have anything? Well, the the only thing that I was going to ask about is we've spent a lot of time lately talking about kind of hybrid shooting, so to speak, you know, fitting some video in with your, Mm -hmm. with your stills. I know that Sony's kind of been on the forefront of that as well, especially with the autofocus now with the, the follow and the eye autofocus. Yep. Where do you see, uh, I mean, the only limitation with the Sony mount right now is it's small. So a, a larger sensor, or if you're talking mm. about that 8K opportunity mm. where Nikon and Canon have, have moved to the larger mount, right. so, Sony's continued to stay with that smaller mount. Is that, do you see that as a limitation in the future as far as video? Well, I don't do a whole lot of video, um, so I've never really thought about it that way. The one thing I do like about it is it's a platform where I can do both. And so I've had a lot of people telling me, we'd love to see a reel from you, you know, (laughs) just based on your still stuff. We think you could be really good at this directing thing and we'd like you to give it a go, you know, so it's that much easier for me to do that, or at least to, to start in that direction. So from that perspective, I, I love the way video and still can integrate just in one system. But I, as to the technical aspects of the larger, smaller mount, uh, I, I couldn't speak to that. I don't know where that's headed with them. Well, neither can I. That's why yeah. I, <laughs> I can tell you, we, we have been shooting exclusive Sony for video mm-hmm. for all of our corporate projects. I mean, I'll shoot okay. the red whenever I yeah. can or when the budget's mm-hmm. there or if we have time. Right. But like we're going to next week to Florida and the whole there's four of us going and we're all shooting on the Sony A7R3. Yeah. Yeah. For that whole yeah. that I mean that's week. the the one or two video things that I've done to play around with I've shot on the R3 and loved it. Absolutely loved it. So just from a layman's perspective mm-hmm. for mirrorless. Yes. I don't think we've covered this. If somebody was looking at Sony gear, mm-hmm. the a7 r3 versus the alpha 9 2 coming out mm-hmm. why would i buy one or the other which i mean it seems like the alpha the a9 2 is the cutting edge camera for sony so i'm right. leaning that way so but michael just picked up mm-hmm. the other one I so got the a7 r4 r4 right yep. r4 yeah. sorry so, so that's what so, you want to compare is the a7 r4 to the a9 2 okay that's what i'm asking yes all right doable um first off is price point the 9.2 is probably going to run, I think, 4,500 
or so, whereas I think the R4 is 3,500. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah okay. something in there. Uh, file size, I believe it's a, what's the, is it a 61 megapixel sensor? Yes. On the R4, and it's, I believe, a 24, 25 megapixel on the 9.2. That works both ways. I mean, you get a gigantic file with a 7R4, but the money that you save buying the camera is probably going to have to go towards bigger hard drives. Sure. Uh, you know, because <laughs> uh, it's just going to fill them up that much that's faster. For wildlife, that's the, the big sensor is is so tantalizing because you have yes. the post production crop factor, right? Um, polar bears. It's nice sure. to be an extra oh, yeah. fifty yards or even further from a polar bear. Well, fifty yards. By the way, yes. this is another. Just to throw this one in at you too, you know those little custom buttons that I said you could set on the back of the R four or the A nine. One of those can be switching, toggling back and forth between APS C and full frame. Sure. So, so you it's can like just, a built-in one four extender. Yeah. Bloop. Yeah. I mean, you're going to reduce your file size, obviously, but. Uh, but if you're shooting with the A7R4 that's shooting 61 megapixels, you, even if you, you cut it you in You are going to come out with, right, you're going to come out with a file that's bigger than a than an A9 anyway. Okay. So yeah. what's, aside from saving yeah. space on data on your memory yeah. card shooting, mm -hmm. why would you crop the sensor to have a smaller, obviously the magnification, but it's, yeah. I would just keep it big and do it in post. And then you have sure. No, I, and, and you know what? I would too, but here's a, this is something that often occurs to me. Um, if I'm shooting a basketball game, for example, for the NBA and I have an editor looking at stuff on the other end, they're so used to seeing a 3028 shot down court, uh, usually vertical, um, usually tight down court whereas my only option is to use an a7r4 with a 70 to 200 on it which if you shoot that vertical is just way too loose so you shoot it horizontal and it's still loose and that editor is going to look at that part of your take and just say this sucks i'm not i mean you're shooting loose you're what what's what's the matter with you now you put it on apsc and they're looking at something that they are used to looking at from the get-go it's looking a lot more like the tight vertical 300 to eight style of shooting. So I agree with you. If, if you, if it's just me and I'm working on it, I'm just going to shoot the full sensor and crop it. But if I'm sending it to other people who might be used to seeing a certain method of shooting, then it could be helpful. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. As far as the video, too, I was somebody I was speaking to last weekend at, at this wildlife photography convention who's a professional shooter, and she's shooting mirrorless. Mm -hmm. She was doing uh, slow motion, 120 frames per second with a 500 F4. I think it's an F4. Wow. Handheld. And she was showing us examples of that phenomenal footage. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time I've heard of somebody playing with high-end video off a tripod. Right. So well, was and that was the... That was the Z series, Darren. Yes, on the Nikon. Okay, oh, with and the P, with the 500, 500. Uh, yeah. P. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So it's an amazing lens, by the way. Yeah, we so small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And light. Yeah. And yes. yeah. What is it Big. the P or the PZ or whatever the? I can't it's, remember the number. Yeah, I think it's a P. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, somebody handed me that at uh, tennis and said, "Feel this." I'm like, "What is this?" And it's a yeah. 504. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta just tell yeah. you, I 
I just got this A7R4 yesterday. Okay. And I've been using the A7R3, and I didn't put a the battery. What do they call it? The battery grip on the, the grip, A7R3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's right. just like this little itty bitty kind of thing, right? In your hands, it's like it was fine, but it was just small. The ergonomics. Now I have yes. the battery grip, so that automatically mm-hmm. changes the game because I didn't used to have that. But it is pretty sweet. Did yeah, you have that? Is that going to change with the A92? Is yes. It- the 92 is the same form factor as the 7R4, oh. which is slightly the, the grip will be will protrude a little bit more so it feels bigger in your hand. Yeah. Um uses the same batteries, by the way, too. Even though the grip has changed, it's the same batteries in the R3 and the A9 version one. Um but uh yeah, same little bigger, little little more heft to it. Um, not necessarily heavier, but just it feels more substantial in your hands than the 7R3 or the A9 would. I put my hand up, not to interrupt flow on Skype yes. here, just so ah. now no, I have a question. Ah. Just to, I, I don't know if we concluded com- the comparison between these two bodies, but I wanted to make sure we covered. Are oh, they yeah, comparable? okay. Yeah, there's more. Are, there com- are they comparable with the autofocus tracking, the face tracking, same same software yes. functionality? They have, they have the same functionality. Um, like I said before, the, the 9.2 is going to be a little bit faster. Okay. Not, I mean, like like I said, I, I would still shoot an NBA game with an R4. Right. You know, okay. I might not shoot car racing, but um, yeah. So, But it does have the same functionality, the same tracking, all of that as well. The... Shutters are different in the 7R4 and the 9.2. The 9.2 has, um, I, I don't know the best way. There's a mechanical, I believe it's a constant mechanical shutter in the 7R4, um, whereas it's an electronic shutter or a mechanical shutter, depending on what you need in the 9.2. You can switch back and forth. The long and the short of it is, I've never seen it. I've never seen any uh, rolling shutter on the 9.2. Uh, it may on a 7R3 for sure, and I'm guessing on the R4 as well, that it's a risk Yes, uh, it is. of I, a rolling shutter. I have another photographer yeah. that it, it happened mm-hmm. to her. Yeah, but on the 9 and 9.2, it just doesn't happen. And that may be a function of the sensor size as well or just the way that uh, it writes to the Right. The sensor differing in each camera, but yeah. For the sake yeah. of our audience that might not know what a rolling shutter is, what what is that? So let's say like it. you have a fast-moving object in your frame. It would get distorted just because of the way the pixels write to the sensor. I think it's the pixels write to the sensor. Something, the way the, the, the sensor scans the image in front of it is probably the best way to put it. Um, and it... I guess it's a different method in the 7R4 than it is in the 9 and the 9.2. And the 9 and 9.2 is just not prone to that. What it is is the distortion of a fast-moving object like a golf club could look like a giant buggy whip, you know, a swinging golf club in or on a 7R4 or a 7R3, whereas it doesn't do that on a 9.2. Have you guys ever experienced that with Nikon with the 850? Will you get that rolling shutter sometimes? I haven't noticed it. No, I haven't either. But I can't yeah. say that I've I can't yeah. say that I've tried to photograph anything as fast as a you know a sure. golf club at 100 miles right. an hour swing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get yeah. that with the 1DX Mark II either. 
Do you remember right. that, Darren? You just no, didn't no, get we it. never, you never had it. It must yeah. be something yeah. that has to do with this mirrorless. And yeah, the way I, I believe it is. And- I believe it is. And I think you'll find that most of it happens when you keep it on silent shutter more than anything else, because then that's just another set of calculations it needs to make. Yep. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay, Ron, now you were talking about media. Okay, yeah, yes. sorry. We were talking about the comparison between the two. Where are they headed with card technology? Because that CF Express seems to be what everybody's moving toward. Is mm-hmm. is uh, Sony throwing that in the No, the Sony A9? is firmly in the SD uh, camp. Um, the 9 has one high-speed slot and one normal speed slot i don't know what the designation is the u uhs two yeah one and two yeah right that's right so the sony has one uh and and then the a9 and the the 7r3 both i believe have one uhs two and one uhs one slot uh mike you would know better than i do about the r4 uh i believe it's two two, that's the us uhs two uh, yeah, and the uh, the nine two has double UHS two slots in it. Yeah, so yeah, yep, they're and both UHS two. That yeah. speed of write to that card compared to like an XQD on Nikon for sake of video or large file size stills. Do we I, know? Don't know. I, don't I don't know. I don't know the the technical standby speeds on that and i don't know what the buffer is on like the A seven R four, but I can shoot several images. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 got to work really hard to run out the buffer on my on the A9 shooting raw uh even when you're shooting the, raw Darren are you doing the uncompressed raw or the compressed raw I've normally do compressed and I've never encountered a problem on it. and you don't um, see it right I hear no, that all the don't. time yeah and I'm always yeah. shooting uncompressed uncompressed so when I put right. off this new camera you put it in and it's 100 and 23 megapixels. It's insane, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. better, uh, the savings account that you have for hard drives better increase. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I just UH- ordered hard drives, sorry, Ron, two weeks ago, and I've, I've now created another cart for more hard drives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> the UHS2 writes about 150 megabytes per second. Uh, XQD writes up to 400, depending on the quality of card wow. that you write and then the cf express it writes up to a thousand wow. megabytes a second so that's i mean they're moving that way because they're going to have larger files for video everybody right. is kind of calculating but yeah well not but, to uh, flip the subject because i have one more sony question but do you all probably saw that the new canon 1dx mark three yes. came out and mm-hmm. i started reading through the specs on that and it's it's kind yeah, it of sweet. It's sweet. 20 frames yeah. a second. It does 4K mm-hmm. at 60. It does a few other things where, and it's two, I think, two CF. CF Express, right? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. CFast cards. Yeah. No, they went away from CFast. They went to the CF Express. Oh, so it's different. It's, not, it's a different card altogether? Yep. It's, it's, you can use XQD <laughs> card. So yeah, throw all your other stuff away. Bro. Yeah. And you have that a pile CF in Express the office is, of just old digital right. stuff i'm gonna like make like a shower curtain out of cf cards or something like that <laughs> yeah quickly they're for sale who wants CF cards? <laughs> so uh i have two more questions one is more yeah. of an experiential thing i remember shooting with darren we so golf you know yeah. we, we're out here shooting and we know what the creative director wants right 
Yeah. And he'll come over to Darren and I, he'll say, okay, we want to get, and we're shooting at two different angles. And he'll yeah. say, well, we want the club straight out and we want the ball kind of in the shot that's going 9 million miles an hour. And we want the golfer to look really cool doing this. And, you know, it's all a timing thing. And Darren is super good at it. And I got to be okay at it, you know, because it's all a timing thing. You just went, and this is all when you shoot the 1DX Mark II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would cut, you know, I don't know, was that 12 frames a second or 13 frames yeah. a second? I don't yeah. remember. You could usually get it with one or two tries, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, if you missed it, it was just a timing thing of when you started right. taking the pictures. Fast forward to when Darren started shooting this Sony stuff and now he's shooting 20 frames a second and I was still shooting the Canon stuff. Darren would take one shot at it and he's like, oh, I got it. And then I'd be like, oh, I missed it. So then mm-hmm. they, we'd have to do it again. So, I mean, the speed at which these cameras can shoot nowadays and what you're able to capture, especially in this world where a creative director says, hey, I want exactly this. Now, in wildlife, we don't get yeah. that all the time, right? Because we don't right. know what it's going to do. But but just the speed in which you can shoot the images is pretty amazing. It is. It, it, and like you said, to, to your point, you know, budgets are shrinking. So maybe you have four days to shoot instead of five. Uh, and you've now compressed a shot list into that many days. And so if you can do it in fewer takes, you know, one take at 20 frames a second or two takes at 20 frames a second, instead of having to do it eight, nine times over to get it exactly where you want it, so much the better, yep. you know? And while we're at it, this is another Andrew, you remember Andrew, Michael, my, yeah. my digital tech. Yep. Um, so when the nine, two was announced, um, my Digitech sent me a text and it just said, thank you, God. <laughs> I said, what happened? He goes, USB-C tethering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you have on the 7R3 and you have on the 7R4, but you had USB 2 on the A9, I believe it was. And so we would be out there doing this commercial golf shoot. Creative director wants to see everything. You shoot 20 frames a second, you might as well go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> before he can see it and actually i probably did go get a cup of coffee while he was looking at it but yeah, let me just um, throw this in real quick because darren at one point we were on the shoot and he went and bought a coffee maker that plugged into the <laughs> generator so he can make coffee out on the golf course so if you want a coffee you went to darren's cart to get coffee it was that because was only of the because, well we had to do that because andrew who my my digital technician um tried to take one of the keurig machines out of the room but it didn't last on the golf cart. It just wasn't robust enough to be out on the golf cart with us. So, yeah. But Darren does shoot uh, tethered a lot. And it's cool when you're in that yes. environment where you have a creative director looking over your shoulder. With mm-hmm. me, he's let, you know, let's say I'm shooting a shot of uh, somebody teeing off and I'm laying on the ground to get that low end perspective. Mm-hmm. And usually the creative director is laying right next to me and I just That's throw right. him in the back of the camera. Darren, on the other hand, has a DIT guy over here that just has everything going right to the computer. And they're looking in a a shaded compartment Mm -hmm. for the computer. And the creative director is just looking full screen on a laptop. Yep. We got the shot. Let's move on. Andrew zooming in on their eyeballs and going, we're sharp, you know, exposure's fine. Moving on next. Done. That's a good idea. I think I'm going to have my son build a little cart. So we can shoot wildlife tethered and he can tell (laughs) me if I got it or not. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So I, the nine two has, uh, has, 
five gigahertz wireless also in it. You can um, do wireless tethering as well. So when you're tethered, yeah, with the USB-C, you have the yeah. physical wire going yes. to. So how how long is that? How what's what's we have what's, a fifty foot extension cord that we get from Tether Tools um, USB extension. So yeah, right on. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, Derek. we have been known like to have these shots of like golfers walking down the fairway, and there are pictures of Andrew, my tech, and I walking like ten feet away from each other. He's holding a laptop, and there's a cable dangling between us, and I'm walking backwards with the camera, and we're just like hightailing it backwards while these golfers walk down the fairway in front of us it's pretty slick it's i've learned so much from darren but being out there i oh, mean thanks it's pretty awesome so the other question i had unless you guys want to follow up on any of that no it sounds like fun you know <laughs> and, and it's so similar i mean i don't have somebody walking with me holding right. a computer but we do the same thing ahead of a moose or a caribou you know it's no good filming the backside of a golfer or a wildlife subject so to stay right ahead of them and, and predict where they're going is what we do. I, I, I visualize the fun yeah. you're having. Totally. <laughs> so Canon professional services, Nikon professional services, yeah. they're all very, you need that is, you know, yes. if you're doing what we do and you're out there using these cameras, you're beating them up. Occasionally they have to be clean. They have to be sent in. They have to be fixed. Right. How is the Sony professional services? Um, nothing but good things to say about them. I mean, I hope you, Pro services is something that you hope you don't need more than anything else. And when you do need them, you hope they respond. And I have never had a bad experience with Sony's response. I think I've had one Alpha 9 that I sent back in because of a lens mount was getting loose or something like that. And my contacts weren't right. And they basically rebuilt the camera and sent it back to me. No charge. It was amazing. Um, You know, a couple other little things, lenses, just things. Uh, it's free shipping back and forth to the repair center. Uh, I think it's three day turnaround. Um, I've never had to take that long, but I, I think that's what the guarantee is. And they've been great with loaner gear. I mean, when I shoot us open tennis this year, they set us up with, uh, everything we needed for all of our catwalk remotes and then extra lenses and bodies for me. Um, when I went to London for the, uh, Major League Baseball series, the Yankees and the Red Sox in June. Uh, It was the week after they had released the 604. And there was not one in Europe yet. And they got one over there for me uh, to do that. So they're they're pretty amazing. They they really work hard. They've got, you know, and they've got reps all over the country, you know, different regions and your regional rep really works to get to know you well and know what you like to shoot and what you might be interested in trying, might not be, you know, what you need. Uh, and they just, they, they take care of you. It's, uh, it's been a really good experience. Then I had one, I guess I have one more question. <laughs> when we talked about doing this podcast on the phone, we were talking about that new two to 600. Yeah. Pretty sweet lens. You are saying that it may not be the lens of choice for what you're doing, because if you need to isolate a golfer on a green with a big crowd behind them, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, if you're shooting at 6.3, there's no chance of throwing that out right back there. But have you had a chance to use that lens and what? Yes. And do you I like mean, it? I, it? It's great for certain things for me. You know, when I go up in the concourse at the U S open, to shoot tennis, shooting down on the court, 
where my background is not an issue, where throwing the background out of focus is not an issue, I would much rather have the flexibility to pull back to 200 millimeters and get half the court if there's a really cool long shadow or to go in at 600 and do a tight ISO shot of a guy throwing a tennis ball up in the air to serve it. So, and I wouldn't have to carry around five different lenses. I could go up with one camera, the 200 to 600 on it. And, and that's, I, and I did. Um, so for that, it's the perfect lens. It, like it, it just depends on what you're shooting. Yeah. For me on a golf course, trying to isolate a golfer with depth of field, probably not. But for other things, you know, if shooting wildlife where the sky is your background and you really don't need to worry about isolating the animal against the sky or, you know, or throwing the sky out of focus or something, um, I think it'd be perfect for something like that. So, yeah, I'm keen yeah. to try one. I haven't tried one yet. Yeah. I yeah. want to see. I mean, a lot of times we're, we're in the same boat. You know, yeah. if there's a really busy background of alder trees or willows or something and you got right. a moose or something, you want that two eight so that you can just throw everything out and get yeah. your, your animal. Yeah. But, but like Mark was saying the other day, if he wants to shoot a big moose with a big set of antlers, 6.3, yeah. if he wants tip to tip in focus, then 6.3 mm-hmm. is probably where he's going to shoot anyway. Right. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Different applications, something to be aware of. And that's where the photographer's skill comes into play. Right. right. Being aware of that aperture and playing with it and having the right equipment to create those different images. Absolutely. Same for, yeah. For sports. I think, I think that's the next iteration though. I mean, if Skype can come up with a blur, my background switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love playing with that. I, yeah. think, I think Sony could throw it in the a nine three. Well, we'll ask for that after the uh, scratch and sniff in the files. Yes. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. After we go 4D. <laughs> well, do you guys have any other questions? Or have we, uh, oh, this has been awesome. Oh, it's been so awesome. Like, well, thanks for having me, guys. It's yeah. been nice to be a lot of fun. Yeah. We Absolutely. should. Uh, so, Darren, you had mentioned it earlier, and I've seen, you know, you can follow Darren on his Instagram account. And if you're watching on video, you can see his Instagram name. But it's D Carroll Photo, and it's C A R R O L L Photo. D Carroll yeah. Photo right. on Instagram, so you can go and see a lot of his work there. But I don't know if that rodeo stuff that Darren did some cool stuff where he would you, you didn't you ride with some bull riders or yes. something? It was like the most like when people said to you, "What was the best assignment you ever did?" This is the one that just comes right up on the top. It was a Sports Illustrated assignment on Cowboy Christmas, which if you're familiar with rodeo, you know there's like a two-week period in the beginning of July when there's so much money out there to be won that, that they call it Cowboy Christmas. So you have to ride in the rodeos, though, in order to win the money. So a uh, writer from Sports Illustrated and I got into a 19, I think it was 99 uh, Dodge Ram van, uh, conversion van, with four cowboys. And we started in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, they rode in a rodeo. We got in the van. We drove overnight to uh, Prescott, Arizona. Uh, they rode in a rodeo. We got in the van, drove overnight to Malala, Oregon. They rode in two rodeos that night, one in Malala and one in St. Paul, which is just outside of Portland. We got back in the van and we drove overnight to Livingston, Montana, picked up another cowboy, I think it was, and then drove down to Cody, Wyoming. Uh, they rode in another rodeo, and then we drove overnight, wound up at the Calgary Stampede. Wow. Never spent a night in a hotel room, never stopped 
to eat at a restaurant once, just cooked in the car and just, you know, or grabbed a hot dog at a rodeo or something like that. It's just a really, really cool gig. And these guys just let me in, let me shoot whatever I wanted. Five days, 4,800 miles, I think it was, something like that. Um, now, is any yeah. of that work? Can you see? Do you have that on your website or anything? It's on my website. Yeah. All right. It's on so my that's website, why I want is, to bring it up. Yeah. I want people to go to your website, see your work. I mean, such a talent, you know, like well, I was saying earlier with the shots, you know, you think of a golf course, you think of people hitting golf balls, right? You think of the game. Darren is able to capture more than just the game. A lot of his cool shots are the, the grounds crew getting the, the golf course ready in the morning. I mean, it just evokes just like, oh, man, I really want to be there kind of thing. So, <laughs> so go check it out. Go check well, out his website. What is your website address? Uh, DarrenCarroll.com. D-A-R-R-E-N-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. Perfect. That's it. Awesome. All right. Yeah. And, and we'll also have it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put links in our show notes that way. Great. Yeah. For our thanks. listeners too. So. Right. Right. Well, perfect. Well, all thanks right. for, uh, thanks for putting up with all of our different lines of questioning. Oh, I, I hope I was able to answer them. Uh, <laughs> very well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thanks for doing so. Yeah. Lots of excitement yeah. and curiosity, this side yeah. of the screen here. So. Okay. Appreciate it. Nice oh, to I meet you. Nice to meet you too. I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. I'd like to thank Darren Carroll for joining the podcast today. I hope that you found it as interesting and informative as we have with this exciting revolution to mirrorless cameras. They're becoming more and more tempting all the time. For those of you who haven't switched and for those of you that have, well, you know what's going on. The technology is mind-blowing. Such an exciting time to be in the field of photography, whether it's sports or wildlife and nature photography. You can find more of Darren's work on the links in our show notes at wildandexposed.com. And you can see more of our team's work on Facebook, Instagram, and at Wild and Exposed Podcast on YouTube. And no matter which podcast platform you're listening to us on, make sure to take the time to hit that follow or subscribe button. And on YouTube, to hit that bell of notification. It's free. And that way, when we upload new material, you'll be notified and can listen to it or watch it at your leisure. And please take the time to give us a positive review, a five-star rating, or a thumbs up, as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a weekly basis. Additionally, when you have a moment, if you love the work that we put into this, Take the time, take the few minutes, and leave us a positive comment on the iTunes podcast app. That would also be much appreciated and help our efforts. I'd like to take a moment and give a special shout out to our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring you this podcast for your listening enjoyment each week. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.